When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 24, and we are recording on Tuesday, April 12th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. What's up, Amanda? Howdy doody. (laughs) I don't think I've heard anybody say that for a really long time. I've been watching a lot of Murder, She Wrote recently. Oh, do they say howdy doody on Murder, She Wrote? I think Seth says it as a joke. Are you at all familiar with Murder, She Wrote? Um, I know that it's based on like Agatha Christie novels. Is that right? Sort of, yeah. I mean, she's a, yeah, she's an Agatha Jessica Christie Jessica Fletcher is the name. Yes. I, I know because Paul is obsessed with it, but that's, oh. like, that's <laughs> yes, what I is. know, is that Paul that. is Jessica Fletcher, and yes. that's what I know. Paul so. is a friend of ours who does work on panels, which is our sister site um, about comics. He yes. is as obsessed with Murder, She Wrote as I am. Anyway, there's a crotchety <laughs> main doctor um, on the show who is Jessica's, like, very best platonic friend, and it's one of my favorite relationships on television, and he says the most ridiculous things, including but not limited to how to do... Including but not limited to how do duty. Anyway, that had nothing to do with anything. Welcome to the show! <laughs> it's, good, it's good. I like it. Uh, so, if you're not familiar with the show, this is a reading recommendation show. So, how that works is people send us questions about what they should read next based on things they like, things they don't like, things that they wish they could read... Um, Um, For example, if you don't know what to follow up The Night Circus with, or if A Little Life has destroyed your life, things along (laughs) those lines, uh, we will help you find your next book. And the way you can do that is you can tweet at us. I'm Jen IRL, Jen with two N's on Twitter. Amanda's I'm Amanda Nelson, all stuck together, right? Um, Or you can email getbooked at bookriot.com. Is that right? Uh Uh-huh. Or... Or, there's so many ways, <laughs> you can leave your question in the form at the end of every uh, episode's post on bookriot.com. So, and we try to get to all of the questions. We will get to every single one. We have sworn it. Um, it's just we might not get to yours immediately. But don't fret. We will get to it at some point. If your question is time sensitive, try to mark it in the subject line of your email or your um question when you drop it into the form. Like, need an answer by May 1st or whatever so we know that we can't wait weeks and weeks and weeks to get to it. (laughs) Yeah, because we try to take a little bit from all over. You know, it's not purely chronological. Um, But, but yes, we will do our best. If your question is urgent, we will do our best to get to it sooner rather than later. All right, let's do this thing. All right, question one. Uh, This is from Emily. Excuse me. I'm seven months pregnant and had to leave my husband due to his mental health issues. I'm a, lo- I'm a lifelong book lover and looking for something to read that will speak to my heart and make me feel less alone in this crazy situation. I just read Nora Ephron's Heartburn, which I thought would do exactly the trick, but it didn't quite get there for me. Maybe it was too light or too funny. I don't mind something emotional so long as it speaks to me in a way that I know only a great book could. Suggestions? Question mark. And that is from Emily. So before we get to our answers, we will talk briefly about our first sponsor, which is Book Right Live. And Jen's going to take that away because she's 
Book Riot Live queen. Bizarre. She's bizarre with Book Riot Live. (laughs) Bizarre is good too, actually. I I dig it. Um, Yes, Book Riot Live. It's it's our favorite. It is a reader convention. Basically, we wanted to see if we could make an event feel like the site feels all the time. And we did it. Last year was our very first one. And it was awesome. So it's a two-day reader convention. We're going to have authors who, some of whom you will already know and love, some of whom will be new to you, and you will love them, I promise you. Uh, there will be games, like um, Nerd Jeopardy is coming back again this year, which was yes. so much fun last year. Uh, there's going to be thoughtful panels as well, all kinds of different stuff. Um, there are going to be booths where you can check out new books from publishers and also cool bookish swag, like Out of Print will be there again, who we adore and who we work with on a lot of very awesome products. So there's a lot of reasons to come. It is November 12th and 13th, and tickets are on sale now. So if you go to bookriotlive.com, you can get the preliminary details, get your tickets. And I will tell you that if you buy your ticket before, I want to say before May 1st, is that when the deadline is? Um, I think it's June 1st for early bird. Yeah, the early bird. Oh, June 1st. Yes, we decided to make the early bird nice and extensive. Um, And you can, you get a free water bottle because hydration is important, Mm -hmm. along with a bunch of other perks like you will get uh, advanced access to RSVPing for limited audience panels, things like that. Lots of good perks. So go to bookriotlive.com and check it out. It's going to be awesome. All right. So... Um, I guess I'll go first because I yeah. just started talking for no reason. <laughs> so my first pick for Emily for um, – she had to leave her husband. She's seven months pregnant. That's a tough situation, and I feel your feels in this situation. So my first pick for you is Split by Suzanne Finnamore. And this is um, a memoir, and it's one of the first books that I read after I left my marriage, which – I found it very comforting, even though our situations were different. But uh, in Split, Suzanne is telling the story of the first like year or two of her separation and divorce from her husband. Her child was only a year old, and she didn't see this coming at all. So the book opens with her um, in like in her kitchen after she's gotten dressed up really nicely for her husband to come home from work. He comes home from work, makes a martini, tells her she looks beautiful, and then tells her that he's leaving, um, like, out of the blue. And then the rest of the book goes on from there, how she deals with parenting her son, essentially by herself, even though her husband is in and out of the house occasionally, dealing with finding out that he left her and is now with another woman, and that he was probably cheating on her this whole time. Um, He's got a lot of problems. <laughs> and um, he's not a great character, but it's funny. So, I mean, the Nora Ephron is really heartfelt and lovely, but it's also like super funny and biting. The, this split is funny, but in a sadder kind of way. I guess she's more like kind of living in the feelings that she was feeling uh, in that year that her husband left. And so, uh, you know, it's not exactly like your situation. She was left as opposed to the other way around, but um, you can really feel like, I don't know, there's a lot in this that I feel like is universal to the dissolving of a a relationship, no matter what the circumstances are, especially when you've got a child uh, as you do on the way. So, um, yeah, I think that you'll find a lot to relate to. And that in and of itself was really comforting to me, just knowing that there was somebody out there who had felt the same kind of feelings that I was feeling at, at that time. And of course, I mean, of course there is like half of marriages are more in a divorce now. So obviously there are people out there who fear feelings, but um, I don't know. It's so articulate. She, she writes about the very particular emotions of like watching your child do something amazing by yourself when there used to be a person standing there with you watching you do that, you know, that kind of thing. Like it's the little things of 
uh, divorce that she really captures. So that's Split, A Memoir of Divorce by Suzanne Finnamore. Yeah, I am also divorced. Um, <laughs> Welcome to the divorce show. Yes, the divorce <laughs> club. Um, and I do not have kids, uh, so it's a little bit different for me. But um, I, uh, yeah, I, I feel you uh, also. Um, and my first pick for you is one that I've recommended to a lot of women in various life situations, and everybody has come back and been like this book. Um, so it is When Women Were Birds, 54 Variations on Voice by Terry Tempest Williams. If you're familiar with her, she is known best for her nature writing, um, or she's also written uh, a lot of different memoirs slash work that deals with um, Salt Lake City in particular and, and her experiences with her family there. But this book is about, so the setup is that her mother, when her mother died of cancer, she left Terry Tempest Williams all of her journals and like loads, bookshelves of journals, three shelves of, of journals, beautiful journals. And her mother told her um, that, you know, when the time comes, read them. And so, uh, at a certain point, I think it's like on the anniversary of her mother's. Oh no, it's when she is when Terry is the same age as her mother was when she died. She started opening the journals, and all of them were blank. There was not a single word written in any of them, and that's crazy <laughs> um, on a lot of levels. Like it's weird because in Mormon culture, which Terry Tempest Williams is from, uh, journaling is is like a time honored tradition. Like genealogy is a really big deal, and and you know documenting your life is a, a very normal and sort of expected thing to do and then also like if they're all blank why are there so many of them um and so she it then proceeds to do 54 different small chapters some of which are more like a poem than a chapter and some of which are like stories from her life or from her mother's life she's thinking about what it means to be a woman and what it means to have a voice and how you use that voice or choose not to use it um and it's incredibly powerful and it's just like whether or not anything that she has gone through in her life has anything to do with what you have gone through in your life the questions that she's thinking are questions we all deal with um and it's just an incredibly powerful meditation on how we speak or don't speak and what it means to us when we do that. So that is uh, When Women Were Birds, 54 Variations on Voice by Terry Tempest Williams. Okay, my second pick for you is Yes, Please by Amy Poehler, which hits a lot of the same kind of, you know, funny lady talking about deep stuff as heartburn. But there's a section in Yes, Please specifically on Amy Poehler's divorce. And I don't remember the name of the actor she was married to. But anyway, um, they got a divorce and he was the guy from... Now this is going to bother Yeah, it's me. that dude from Arrested Development, but I yes. can never remember his name either. <laughs> he's really tall. He's got a really deep voice. Will whatever. something. Will It'll Arnett. Will Arnett. Will Arnett. There you go. That's I was going to say it's going to come to me at like four in the morning <laughs> and I'm going to wake up screaming, Will Arnett. <laughs> anyway, so she got a divorce and her chapters on her divorce in Yes, Please are so good. And I really recommend listening to the book on audio if you can, because she's... Amy Poehler reads it, obviously, and she talks to you. It's a lot like listening to your really close friend tell you all her feelings about leaving her husband and what uh, is the best way for you to handle your feelings. Are you ever to encounter that situation? And it's not like um, her advice isn't uh, like universal. I mean, obviously, she's not in your situation because she's Amy Poehler and she doesn't actually live in your neighborhood. Um, but it's just like 
Okay, so she talks about, for example, questions strangers are going to ask you at parties when they find out that you're getting a divorce and the things that you're going to want to say in response, like mind your own effing business or I'm going to kick you in in the teeth kind of stuff. And you don't really know, you never really think about that kind of thing when you're, you know, like happily married or even before even if you're unhappily married, you don't really consider the the ins and outs and small little annoyances of what getting a divorce is like and how it impacts your social circles. Because it's not just the end of your marriage, it's the end of a lot of friendships and, you know, um, you're no longer like couple friends with people and all this little weird stuff that happens when you get divorced. She talks about that and listening to her talk about it on audio to me was very like soothing, <laughs> you know, like she cares. You can hear it in her voice that this is a situation in her life that was not great, but that she's not letting stop her from living her life. Obviously, they have children. They have two children. She talks a lot about being a single parent. Um, and and she's funny to boot. And she's biting and scathing. But she does it without ever, like, bad-mouthing Will Arnett. She doesn't ever mention his name, obviously. Um, and she doesn't ever, like, take time in her memoir to dump on him, which I really appreciated. It's defi- It's about, like, her as a woman dealing with a situation, raising her children by herself, the sections on her divorce. Um, and it doesn't have anything really to do with him, which I appreciated. So, yeah. Yes, Please by Amy Poehler. Nice. Uh, my second pick <laughs> for you is an essay collection called The Empathy Exams by Leslie Jameson. Uh, it is not – she has no experience with anything you're going through. Mm-hmm. However, the reason I'm recommending it is because there's one essay in there in particular, and really all of the essays, um, that is about – pain. And obviously from the title, it's about empathy. Like how do we feel our own pain? How do we deal with other people's pain? And that was one of the things that I struggled most with in the immediate aftermath and even long term of um, my divorce because of, you know, my own situation uh, had to do with addiction and, and having sympathy and empathy for an addicted person without wanting them to still be in your life is a very Mm -hmm. tricky thing. Um, And so that is something that she doesn't talk about explicitly, but that she addresses in her, in Jameson's meditations on what it means to feel pain and how we deal with pain in ourselves and others in all of these different lenses. So for example, in one chapter, she's in one essay, she's talking about being a medical actor. So you go in and you are given a card that has your disease on it. And then a intern, you know, or a medical student comes in and has to diagnose you and you have to lead them, try to lead them to the right answer. And you're also rating them on bedside manner, among other things, which is really interesting. Um, and then there's another essay about ultra marathons. And then there's another one about people who think they have a disease that, you know, doctors don't it, it think is real. Um, and there's a bunch of different settings. But all of the questions she's asking are like, how do we represent pain? How do we represent our own pain? How do we deal with other people's pain? How do we deal with women's pain in particular, which is a thing that a lot of people don't ever want to talk about. Hmm. So yes, I think there would be some useful stuff in there and it's also a really good read so that is the empathy exams uh by leslie jameson uh before we move on i wanted to mention uh or recommend to you a specific essay it's in tiny beautiful things by cheryl Strayed, which is a collection of essays that she wrote when she was de- doing the dear sugar advice column for the rumpus we've talked about it on the show before i mean but you don't have to read the entire book the essay that I specifically recommend to you is called The Truth That Lives Here, and it actually still lives on the rumpus. So I will leave a link in the show notes um, if you don't feel like going out and buying the whole book. And this is um, 
an essay that she wrote in response to like five or six different letters that she'd gotten from women who were in relationships that were, some were bad, some were great, but they still wanted to leave. And she didn't know how to handle that. And so the essay is entirely about how you can leave because wanting to leave is enough. And women, especially when you have children, man, the guilt that you can feel for leaving your husband, even if the situation is bad, but especially if it's not necessarily terrible, you know, like if it's somebody's fault, it's just not working out, whatever. Um, you can feel so much guilt. And this essay, I like memorized it the first couple of weeks after I had moved out of my house. And um, it was it's just so helpful. Like it's she's validating the fact that wanting to go, no matter what your reasons are, even if you have no reason that you can articulate, just the wanting, just the wanting to go is enough. And you're not a terrible person for making a decision that's best for your peace, even if it has nothing to do with your children or if it does, whatever decision, whatever is like driving you to make this decision that will give you peace, that's okay. And that's totally good enough. Um, so yeah, it's called The Truth That Lives Here. It's in Tiny Beautiful Things. I'll leave a link. And that, whole, right. that whole collection is good too, but okay. Yes, it is. It's amazing. <laughs> I was like, I always recommend it. So I'm going to try to branch out, but they're really Tiny Beautiful Things as well. Worth picking up. Um, all right. Question two. This question is from Christy. I'm looking for audiobook recommendations. I've just started listening to audiobooks while I work. I work on the computer all day, and it's nice to have a small distraction. Recently, I listened to Eat, Pray, Love, and although I'd previously read the book, I absolutely love the audiobook. I'm looking for nonfiction audiobook recommendations that have the same feel as Eat, Pray, Love. Thanks. I look forward to listening to your podcast. Ah, thanks, Christy. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'll start. Sure, why not? I'm still talking. Um, <laughs> my first pick for you is your Yes by Shonda Rhimes, which is read by the author. She's amazing. It's so good. (laughs) Um, She's just great. And one of the things that you realize as you listen to the audiobook is that her actors have picked up some speech patterns from her, which is kind of funny. Um, She's very cool. So, anyway, Year of Yes, I was so skeptical and then I loved it. Um, It's about. She decided she realized, thanks to her sister, that she basically said no anytime anybody asked her to do something that was even a little bit challenging or scary. Uh, and so she decided to take a year and she would say yes to the challenging and scary things. And the process of that is super interesting. She's also very funny, um, but she's talking about real life changes here, which I really, I don't know, I, I somehow I wasn't quite expecting it because it's like it's Shonda Rhimes. Like mm-hmm. her life is magic, surely. <laughs> but it's a cool peek behind the curtain of what it's like to be in such a high powered, intense career, um, what it's like to love what you do, but still struggle with certain aspects of it. There's a whole chapter on saying yes to no, which I really, really appreciated. Like the ways in which you can learn to say no to people, even as you're making more of an effort to say yes. Super great. Uh, So yes, and obviously the audiobook is super fun. So that is Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Okay, so my first pick for you is Traveling Mercies, Thoughts on Faith by Anne Lamott. And I pulled this out because so much of Eat, Pray, Love is about Elizabeth Gilbert kind of stumbling towards a spiritual practice that she finds fulfilling um, and that will like bring her, you know, peace and joy and all the things that come when you find a spiritual practice you find fulfilling or the lack of spiritual practice that you find fulfilling. Um, And obviously, because there's an entire 
section called Pray in the book. Like, mm. And so I thought Eat, Pray, Love, I mean, I thought Traveling Mercies would be a good corollary because like Elizabeth Gilbert and Lamott's really funny, but it's a different kind of funny. Like Elizabeth Gilbert's got this very earnest kind of humor. And Lamott is dry and snarky and does not care. Um, their paths take them down different spiritual, like towards different spiritualities. And you pray love, she's got more of like a Zen thing going on. And Lamott is a Christian, but not a, um, she's not like a whatever, like right wing kind of fundamentalist. She's a super liberal hippie with dreadlocks. Um, And so Traveling Mercies is kind of a memoir about how she sort of stumbled into Christianity. She was raised with with no spirituality at all um, in, you know, like hippie dippy California and um, had kind of a tough childhood and a tougher adulthood where she fell into addiction. She was addicted to drugs. She was an alcoholic, um, all these kinds of things. She was making really bad life choices. And then how she kind of by accident stumbled into a church one day and then realized that like she could find a community of people who would love her and help her through life that she could do the same for others um you know just by like going to this building every sunday and she's really really funny about it um and it's super irreverent she's one of my favorite writers of like spiritual thought she's not i mean this isn't like c.s lewis she's not getting super theological or um theoretical about like Christianity or whatever. She's mostly ranting about George Bush. So I think it's hilarious. And yeah, she reminds me a lot of Elizabeth Gilbert. So Traveling Mercies, Some Thoughts on Faith by Anne Lamott. She's written several books about faith that are like half reflections on Christianity, half memoirs, and they're all hilarious and she curses tons. So much love for her. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Um, So my second pick for you was Troublemaker, Surviving Hollywood and Scientology by Leah Romini, read by the author. And this is recommended by Brenna Clark Gray, uh, who is one of our writers and had such amazing things to say about it in the um, favorite audiobooks of 2015 uh, post that I put on my list. So if you're familiar, Leah Romini, I remember her from Stay by the Bell. Yes. <laughs> but um, <laughs> like dating myself here. But she's also in you were she was on King of Queens. Um she's been a bunch of stuff. She's I think she's super interesting and I knew absolutely nothing about her. And this memoir, it's a memoir, is about um the subtitle is Surviving Hollywood and Scientology. So it's all about how she got into the Church of Scientology, how she then had to get out of the Church of Scientology. And she's very She's very thoughtful, which you might not expect from an actress who's known as like sort of a brash, like loudmouth type personality. Uh, And apparently she also has great reminiscences of like her time on Saved by the Bell, among other things. So um, I thought that in since we're talking about like women's journeys here, this might be an interesting journey to explore and also like a good fun one to listen to. And actresses who read their own audiobooks, like what is not great about that? So that is Troublemaker by Leah Romini, and it's read by the author. Okay, my second pick is also um, actresses reading their own thing. <laughs> it's, it's Everyone Hanging Out Without Me by Mindy Kaling. I have a thing for, she's like... She's great. She's so good, and comedians reading their own audiobooks is so great because they have that timing thing nailed, you know? Like, they know yeah. exactly when to pause for breath to make a thing, like, full impact hilarious. It's mm-hmm, so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, obviously, Mindy Kaling is an actress from The Office and her own show named after herself, right? Isn't it called The Mindy Kaling Project? Uh, yes. It's called The Mindy Project. The Mindy Project, yes. Um, so you are probably super familiar with her. But is everyone hanging out without me? It's kind of a memoir essay type situation, um, all the way from growing up as the child of immigrants to like her weight loss stuff, um, to writing on the office and what her work life is like and all of that. 
And the thing that reminds me of Eat, Pray, Love um, in this book is that they're both ostensibly books about like grown women's insecurities and foibles, which is a thing that I really love because we all have those. We all have like these weird things that bug us and our own neuroses and stuff like that. And, um, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert goes to Italy and India and I don't remember the other place she goes. Poo. Uh, whatever, not important. I think Bora Bora, but that's not right. Uh, anyway, she travels Indonesia. Ha ha. Uh, she travels a lot to outrun and then figure out and then finally embrace her foibles. Mindy Kaling just doesn't try to outrun them at all. She just loves them from the beginning. And I appreciate that so much. So there's, there's one um, chapter that stuck with me the most. And it's about like how she sneaks out of parties by pretending she wants to go find her coat or pretending that she's going to the bathroom and then she just leaves. <laughs> and I don't remember what she calls it, but she's got like a term for it. For leaving a party secretly so you don't have to do that thing where you go around the entire room and tell everybody goodbye and hug my, people you don't really like. And... My friend calls that the Irish goodbye. I don't know why, but that's what she calls it. <laughs> that might be what it's called. I know it's like a thing. It's got yeah. it's got a title. There's a term for it. Um, but there are tons of moments. In there. There's another uh, moment when she's trying on a dress for a photo shoot. And she does. She hates it because it's like they gave her a typical chubby girl dress, quote unquote. Um she doesn't want to wear it. She wants to wear this like beautiful ball gown that she can't fit into. And she says something like, well, I wouldn't be comfortable in this other dress. And she's talking about how like women use that as like the final word. Like if I'm not comfortable with this, you have to do what I say, which is super true. I do that all the time. And I think it's funny. Um, but anyway, so there are tons of moments like that. It's hilarious. Um, and it is following like a little bit of growth since you're following her from childhood to adulthood, obviously, um, mental and emotional growth that happens that in the same way that, um, that that happens in Eat, Pray, Love, but it's obviously a different subject matter. Um, so that's Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me by Mindy Kaling. Oh, my turn. Oh, yeah. Okay. Your turn. <clears throat> All right. Question three. This is from Rebecca. Uh, I love this show. Thank you so much. I'm starting a book club slash restaurant club with my mom and a friend of hers where we read and eat around the world. That's such a cool idea, y'all. That's so good. I don't know much about how to find good translations. I was hoping you could help me. My mom loves a warm-hearted book in the vein of the storied life of A.J. Fickery. There can be some darkness, but she can't get into a book where any of the characters experience too much trauma. She couldn't even handle me reading her the synopsis for a little life. <laughs> She's also a sucker for a nice love story. Thank you for your help. And that is from Rebecca. All right, I'll go first because I have more. Um, none of these are <laughs> translations, but they all are related to the countries they're talking about. So so the first pick is Redemption in Indigo by Karen Lord, which was inspired by a Senegalese folktale and the author is from Barbados. So depending on where you live, like it might be hard to find those specific kinds of restaurants. But if you can find something Caribbean, like you'll at least be in the neighborhood. Um, and if you can find an actual Senegalese restaurant, that would be amazing. Uh, so this is a it's her debut novel and it's a really lovely story. It's a little bit fantasy because it's based on a folktale. So it's got that sort of magical realism in it. Um, it's about a woman named Pama who her husband is just kind of an idiot. Like he's the straight <laughs> man in this story. Like he really is just not great at life. And he follows her home to her village. And now he's like stealing corn and just like embarrassing her everywhere. And she's trying to leave him and she attacks the attention, uh, attracts the attention of the supernatural being who gives her a gift, which is called the chaos stick, which she then uses to cook with. Um, so she is like literally cooking with an object of power. It's amazing. Uh, mm. It's really funny. It's really clever. And Karen Lord does this really interesting thing where 
it's written in sort of the rhythms that feel very sort of folktale-y. Like if you've read like original Grimm's fairy tales or um, folktales from other cultures, like there's a sort of sort of almost sing-songy rhythm to it. And she does a bit of that and it's really fun. Um, and it's just like a lovely story. There's trickster stuff and a little bit of magic and a little bit of humanity thrown in there. And it, there, it, there's a lot about food in there. Like I said, the main character is cooking in the kitchen all the time with the object of power. It's great. So that is the redemption, or excuse me, redemption in Indigo by Karen Lord. So when you said restaurant, book club slash restaurant club, I guess for some reason my head didn't register the word restaurant. And I just like was functioning under the assumption that you were going to be cooking food from these countries, not like looking for restaurants with food from these countries. So it might be difficult for my first one because my first book is out of Finland. So I, if you Ooh. have Finnish, <laughs> Finnish restaurants around you, Godspeed. Um, that's awesome. I do not have any Finnish restaurants around me. So I don't know. Um, anyway, I, th- I thought like, oh, like, Nor- Nor- what is that? Like Nordic food? That'd be fun. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Anyway. Ludafisk, is that a thing? I just made that up. <laughs> I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> All right. So um, the book is called The Rabbit Back Literature Society. And oh my gosh, this name. I'm so sorry. I apologize in advance. It's by Pasi Ilmari Jaskalainen. Dude. Uh, my pronunciation of that was probably really bad. Anyway, the translator's name is Lola Rogers. Um, and this reminded me of AJ Fickery when I read it, only because it's got that like um, very small, it's got, it takes place in a tiny town called Rabbitback and it's got grumpy literary characters. So in that same vein as AJ Fickery. Um, this is about a elite group of writers who are called the Rabbitback Literature Society. They are... Um, not ruled over, but the leader of the society is a famous, is an internationally famous children's writer who disappears in the middle of a party. Like the doors open, snow comes in, and this woman just like disappears into the snow. Um, they are a super picky group, so they don't admit just anyone. They only have nine members. And the main character, Ella, is the 10th member who's been selected. She's a literature teacher. Uh, in their little town, and the part it's the party to celebrate her being inaugurated into the society when the, where the leader disappears. So then Ella, the teacher, goes on a quest, essentially, to find out what happened to the leader of the society. There's also a book virus going around in the library in the small town that's, like, changing all the words of uh, famous books. Ooh. Yeah, it's weird. It's a really quirky book. And then to find out what's happening... Um, she starts playing what in the book is called the game, which is this elaborate game, obviously, that all the members play with each other where you like surprise them in the middle of the night and then they and you ask them questions and they have to answer you. And there's like punishments for not answering truthfully. Um, and they use this to like find ideas for new stories by m- mining each other's like emotional trauma. There's not a lot of um, it's not a little life. OK, you're not going to there's not like tons of really dark, horrible stuff happening in this uh, book. But it's it's weird. It's like a mystery, and it's got a little bit of magical realism, and it's um, super, you know, if you're a fan of books about books, this is right up your alley. So that's the Rabbit Back Literature Society. I'm not going to try and pronounce the name again. Just check the show notes. I don't want to butcher it. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, okay, my second pick for you is a memoir. Uh, you didn't say whether or not you wanted to do nonfiction, but I thought this might be a good one. Um, it's called Yes, Chef by Marcus Samuelson. And it is about, you might have know about him. He was on Food TV. He was on one of the... Um, the competition shows, the reality cooking shows. Anyway, he <laughs> is 
so he is originally from Ethiopia, and when he was three, he uh, his fa- he lost his family, and a year later they were adopted by a white family in Sweden. And he and his so he and his sister are born in Ethiopia and then adopted to Sweden. And his new grandmother Helga keeps him in the kitchen with her, so he learns to make herring and bread and roast chicken, and he's like in it from the beginning. He's really into food and he's really into these family traditions of his adopted family. And then as he grows up and he becomes, you know, more involved and he's, you know, learning to be a professional chef and he's going on, you know, to culinary school and cooking on cruise ships and learning all of this, like, it's the whole journey to being a chef, which if you're, if you've read Food Lit, you might be familiar with. I have not really read much, so it was very interesting to me. Um, and he also then starts looking back at his own family history and wanting to learn more about the food that he could have gone, grown up with if he hadn't lost his mother. And so that is really interesting. So you have Swedish food and you have Ethiopian food, which is great. Um, so delicious. And then mm-hmm. on top of it, he opens his own restaurant. So you're learning about, like, there's just a lot of crazy politicking that goes on in food. Like, you, I guess if you've watch the food shows like uh, they yell at each other and it's really intense <laughs> and you know everybody's like really crazy and has a lot of tattoos and maybe they're doing drugs and maybe they're not who knows but like <laughs> even more than that there's some crazy politics that go on with reputations in particular and like who can use what name when they go off to start their own restaurant it's crazy it's very interesting so I think there's a lot to talk about here um, and a lot of good food discussed so it gives you a place to start So that is Yes Chef by Marcus Samuelson. Okay, my second pick is easier to find a restaurant, if that's what you're actually doing. Uh, It's Happier the Happy by Yasmina Reza, and it's trans Reza. It's translated by John Collin, and this is um, takes place in France. So French restaurants, a little easier to find. Um, This is based on a Borges uh, poem. There's a section in the poem that goes, happy are the loved ones and the lovers and those who can do without love, happy are the happy. So uh, this is 20 short linked stories. It's a really slim little book. It's only like 150 pages. Um, And each story... Um, well, they're linked, obviously. So every character, like minor characters of one story are the main character of the next story, that sort of thing. And that little snippet of the Borges poem is what um, the stories are based around. So really, you're just looking at like relationships, marriages, families, a lot of daily life sort of stuff. So for example, in one short story, a journalist is with his wife in the cheese section of a supermarket and they get into this big, huge blowout because he picks up the wrong cheese. And it actually is like symbolic of all this stuff happening in their marriage, which is real. Like that's a real thing that happens in life is that you nitpick one little thing that the person you love does because it's like just symbolic of everything that drives you crazy about them. Um, And then in another one, Uh, A son is with his mother in a doctor's office waiting for her to get radiation for her cancer. And he's like overhearing her. He's like eavesdropping on her flirting with another patient, which is super weird for him because it's his mother, obviously. Um, There's one couple in one of the stories who are so in love with each other that their other friends like make fun of them. Like they're that couple that won't stop holding hands all the time. They have really cheesy and awful pet names for each other. And then something bad happens to their son. Their son gets sick and they're um, really notable love for each other starts to kind of fall under strain and what happens uh, to them. Anyway, so it's really everyday normal life stuff in 20 little short stories, which is a thing that I really enjoy. I've said it before. I like short stories, but I also just really like stories about normal domestic stuff 
that people go through. Um, they're very comforting to me for some reason. So that's Happy Are the Happy by Yasmina Reza. All right, I got one more, and it is... I just finished this last night. Oh, did you? Yes. Did you like it? <laughs> yes, I loved so it. So good. Okay, <laughs> so I felt a little bad to have three again. I have three for a bunch of the questions this episode. I've been so good, but anyway, okay, I'm just going to talk about it. It's Uprooted by Naomi Novik. It's so great. It is a fantasy novel based on the Polish folktales that Naomi Novik remembers growing up with. Um, one in particular called, like, Agnes and the Cow, the Yellow Cow is the English translation of it. Um, um, you can like look up interviews about this, but anyway, so it's about the main character's name is Agnieszka, and she grows up in like a little tiny village next to the forest and the river. And then there's this big scary woods because there's always a big scary woods um, standing right over the border, and you don't go into the woods. Bad things come out of the woods, and the village relies on this wizard who's kind of terrifying, known as the dragon, to keep the wood in check. But every 10 years, he comes and takes a young woman away. And he usually picks like the brightest, most beautiful girl, of course, and takes her away. And they often don't come back. And they never say what's happened to them um, after their 10 years of service to him is up. Um, And nobody really knows what goes on. All they know is that this is how they stay safe. So Agnieszka is expecting her best friend to be picked because Cassia is beautiful and she's smart and she's funny and why wouldn't he take her? But she gets taken instead. And it turns out it's because she has magical talent. And so the story then takes this dramatic turn where you're kind of expecting it to be one of these like run of the mill like Beauty and the Beast stories and then it takes like a hard right and all Mm -hmm. of a sudden it's about like a woman learning to own her power and to be the equal of this guy who's, you know, sort of he's scary for reasons that you then find out and what is the deal with the wood and how did that come to happen? It's a real awesome really fun really smart read and I like I don't actually remember if there's pierogi in the book or not but Mm -hmm. any excuse to eat pierogi I think is a good one and this will give you that so that is uprooted uh, excuse me uprooted by Naomi Novik co-signed so great right you know, what are the, now I'm like gonna yeah talk yeah, about side it. note one of the reasons that one of the things I loved about this book which like I said I just read I just finished last night is that her brand of magic is way different from all the other men all the like wizards in the book the way that they do magic and they can't comprehend how she works her powers because it's so not what they're used to and it's it's so it's like earthy and really um like natural and free flowing and this kind of thing. And I thought it was a really kind of interesting and lovely thing to say about um, like the inherent powers that women have and how it can be so confusing to men sometimes. Um, And how, I don't know, I just really enjoyed that like their magic is so structured and based on like books and reading and all this stuff. And she just kind of feels her way through it, finding the thing that works best for her. Um, and I just appreciate it a lot. Her, her magic is really feministy. <laughs> it's true. It's, it is a very feminist book. Well, and I think also being able, like even beyond gender, like being able to mm-hmm. understand that sometimes intuition can get you to a place that like philosophy and theory cannot get you is yeah. really, it's just a useful thing to acknowledge. And that's how it comes across in the book. And it's so great. Oh, it's so good. There's a lot of good things about it. Okay, <laughs> on to the next question. Moving on. <laughs> Moving right along. This question is from Scarlett. 
I am an eighth grade teacher that teaches at a Christian school. It's small, 135 students, mostly conservative, interdenominational families. I myself am a Christian, but very much desiring to be real and honest with my students. I want them to see the world and love all the people. So can mm. you give me an appropriate suggestion to read to them or teach in my classroom that would open their eyes to see the world from all perspectives and help them realize this small town and their experiences are not enough? Uh, so I just realized reading this, I have no idea what, oh, you did say eighth grade. Okay. Phew. I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, what if she's teaching fourth graders? And then my, <laughs> my, my suggestions are the worst. Mm. Um, but okay. So Amanda, you go first. Okay. So I took this to the book grant back channels to ask them about it because we've got tons of children's librarians and teachers and librarians in general, um, and parents in, at, you know, who write for book riot. And I wanted to get a variety of, um, like opinions about this because I have to, you know, I'm a parent I ha- and I'm a Christian, but my kids are only five. So I, I'm not entirely sure about like an eighth grade reading level, like what would be appropriate, but I really firmly am like down for the ones that I picked and I've read them both obviously. So um, my first recommendation for you is Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson. Cosine. Uh, Cosine. Yeah. Um, it's middle grade. So it's perfect for this age group. And it, it also, it doesn't have, I feel like it, there's nothing in here that a, a, like a, even a really conservative parent is going to find that objectionable. It's a semi-autobiographical novel in verse. So you can introduce them to poetry if that's the thing you're interested in. And it's about Jacqueline Woodson growing up in the South, um, during uh, like Jim Crow. And then she leaves the South to go to live in New York City with her mother. And so it's a lot, it's partially about like her experiences with racism in both the South and the North, and also about a little girl learning to love books and reading. Um, so I think it, it really will open a, a young person's eyes to like just geographical differences in different places in the country, but also other experiences that are outside their own uh, experiences. It's also got like a historical thing going on. Um, So there's a lot in this book that I think is really great for kids. And like I said, I don't think it's going to be found objectionable by any of your um, parents, which seems to be like a concern. Oh, so Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson. I will remember to say it. (laughs) Good job. Thanks. Yeah, I don't know about mine, but I figured (laughs) I would try, you know. I don't know how much room we've got to work with here, but so my first pick for you is Citizen by Claudia Rankin, which is amazing. Mm. I think because it won the National Book Award and the National Book Critics Circle, you and the NAACP Image Award and the LA Times Book Prize, like this has won so many awards, um, you have a strong case. And really the... The book itself, it's funny, I like when you look at the specific things in it, it's not that controversial, but as a whole, it's what makes it controversial. So this is a sort of half essay, half poetry book about racial aggression and in particular microaggressions. She is talking about Venus Williams and she's talking about Trayvon Martin and she's talking about what it's like when her neighbors call the cops on her babysitter because he's talking on his phone out front. Um, Or when she goes to meet a new person for a meeting and they don't expect her to be black. Uh, It's, it's, I mean, it's really about the black lived experience in contemporary America. And it's, so it's controversial in that way that she 
he's laying out all of these lived experiences and and saying like really <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is these are the things that you're gonna say to your coworkers, to your neighbors to the people on the subway next to you like to the people you see on tv like these are the things that you want to say to them um and I really think it's incredibly I think it would make a great teaching tool like it would be such a good book to talk about in class because you can break it down section by section it's not long um and you can really and there's you know sort of contemporary context for all of the things that she's talking about. So I I can see it being very powerful, assuming that nobody pitches a fit about talking Mm -hmm. about race in the classroom. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, And I don't remember her talking about faith too much one way or the other, um, although I could be wrong, but I think it kind of just is mostly concerned with real life, everyday experiences. So that is Citizen by Claudia Rankin. Okay, my second pick for you is a classic. It's The Giver by Lois Lowry. And the reason, well, well, do I need to do a synopsis for The Giver? I mean, probably not. (laughs) Like, we all know what The Giver is about, right? Jonas is a kid who lives in a society where there's no color. The weather never changes. Everyone's conformed. um, There are a lot of rules. He's given a life assignment to be uh, the receiver of memory. He goes to the, the giver of memory and starts taking on the memories of all of humanity. And then he finds out that his community is actually like a horrifying dystopia. So there you go. If you've never read The Giver, there you go. Um... The Giver, I read it when I was in, I think, sixth grade. And it was the first book that ever made me think that so- that my parents could be wrong about anything. Like, it, it really opened my eyes to, like, things that are told to me by people in authority in my life could be complete BS that they are telling me for their own gain or their own reasons or simply because they are ignorant and don't know any better. Like, it's the book that made me question authority. At all. And I didn't turn into, you know, I was like 11. So I didn't turn into a raging, rebellious, whatever. But it, like you were saying, you want for your kids, it opened my eyes to um, a world that was could be full of things that I didn't understand, that I'd never been told about. Um, and it just opened my mind to other experiences and other ways of looking at things. It made me question my parents' politics, which was interesting. My parents were very conservative. Um, and I, at that age, was as kids do, was just par- parroting, you know, what my parents said. Um, about politics and faith and all of that. And then when I read this book, I was like, oh, wait, hold up. Like, maybe they're just saying all of these things because it's what they heard on TV or because it's what they heard on the radio or it's because it's what they read in a Rush Limbaugh memoir, you know, whatever. Like, it doesn't mean that it's true. So um, I think it's a good book for teaching a, a kid, especially a kid in, like, middle school, that their parents aren't infallible. Um, but it doesn't, at the same time, it doesn't completely, you know, it's not like, I don't know, divergent where like every adult is evil and is like coming to get you and kill you. It's not like kind of horrifying like that, but it is really eye opening. And at the end of the book, which I am going to spoil because everyone's read The Giver. If you haven't, plug your ears. Um, You know, Jonas leaves the community and goes off to experience the world and see what his parents have been hiding from him or what his community has been hiding from him. And so even just the fact that he does that was really like inspirational to me a little bit as a kid. Like, oh, you can like go off and do stuff that your parents don't approve of or that your parents don't believe in or that, and, and maybe your parents are wrong. So it was a really seminal book for me when I was little and I, I think that every kid should read it. So that's The Giver by Lois Lowry. Okay. 
This one might be a harder sell to your school board, depending on how... <laughs> I thought about that when I saw this in the agenda. I was like, oh. I'll talk about it briefly and then give you an easier one. I just think it's so good, though. Um, okay, so it's If You Could Be Mine by Sarah Farazan. It's about a 17-year-old girl named Sahar who is in fr- who is in love with her best friend, Nazrin, um, and has been for a really long time. And they've kissed, and they are there's definitely, like, an acknowledged romantic element to their relationship. But... Um, homosexuality is outlawed in Iran, so they can't be open about it. And then Nazrin's parents announced that they've arranged her marriage. And so, and she is trying to convince Sahar that it's, they can just keep going. They're like, they'll meet in secret, like always, and nothing will change except that now she'll be married and she'll have, you know, this fancy husband and she'll have a nice TV and things will be okay. Um, and Sahar is like, not down with this. Um, <laughs> and in Iran, while homosexuality is a crime, but they do acknowledge transgender to like being transgender as a legitimate thing and you can get sex reassignment surgery. So she starts she starts trying to figure out like does she love her friend so much that she should become a man and is that a thing that is a good decision is it a real decision and um, she's struggling with a lot of stuff here and there's no clear like it gets real gray in there mm-hmm. about like using this sort of loophole to to be in a relationship that she really feels is is important to her um and so there's a lot of things to talk about here. So much might be hard to get in there because you're talking about, you know, the lesbians and you're talking about transgender issues and you're talking about Iran and, and, and Muslim countries and that's a lot. But I mean, this book is really good for thinking about these things from a completely different perspective. Like these are not things, this is not the way we talk about homosexuality in America. So it's a really good get out of your own head, get out of your own perception, get out of your own country book. So that is If You Could Be Mine by Sarah Farazan. Um, I wanted to mention one more that I don't know if it will work, but I, if you can get it to work, I do recommend it a lot. It's The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie. Um, and I say I don't know if you could get it to work because it's been challenged a lot in schools, both public and private religious schools, um, because there's an, a mention of masturbation in it. The main character is a 14-year-old boy, um, and he talks about it like once. There's like a sentence or two about it, which I get some parents just find extremely objectionable. So I don't know. Do with that information what you will. But the book itself is amazing and hilarious, and she'll like kids of that age tend to love it. It's a it's about a like I said, a 14-year-old boy who's starting um well, high school, like he's a freshman in high school, and he's going off, he lives on an Indian reservation, he's going off the reservation to a mostly white public high school, and it, it's just his experiences, his coming of age, dealing with um, being the only, I think he's the only Native American student at this mostly white school, having to drive or be driven or hitchhike, you know, like 20 miles away from his house to get to school in the morning. Um, it's funny, it's thoughtful, it's a little bit heartbreaking, it's really, really lovely, it's a great book for, you know, and like, um, what was I going to say? The the uh, my personal opinion, and this is my personal opinion about most book challenges, is that it, it has nothing to do with the single sentence about masturbation. It has to do with the fact that Sherman Alexie is Native American, telling a story about Native Americans and telling a story about a kid who has to deal with racism. And I think a lot of parents are just uncomfortable um, with that <laughs> in general. And I think that's the deal with most challenges of books in schools, personally, because if you look at like lists 
this is a tangent, but if you look at lists of most uh, the most frequently challenged challenged books, they're either by LGBTQ people or about LGBTQ characters, or they're by or about people of color. So I don't think it has anything to do with the masturbation line. And uh, whatever, that's my personal opinion. It's a great book. If you can sell it, please do. Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexi. All right, I thought of one real quick that <laughs> you might actually be able to get into your classroom. <laughs> I, just, I didn't even think about it. I was like, oh yeah, books that'll open their mind. Here you go. Like not thinking about the challenges that teachers have. Um, so this, my, my last pick for you is Uglies by Scott Westerfeld. It is the first in a series and it's about a girl named Tally who lives in the future. And in this future, everybody gets plastic surgery when they turn 16. So you stop being an ugly, capital U, it's what they call under 16s. And then you, everything is about you is perfect. You're, and you can have funky body modifications like tattoos that also glow and change and your eyes can be whatever color you want. And literally no one in their society is ugly once they turn 16, which sounds awesome, right? Spoiler alert, it's not. Uh, <laughs> and so Tally, right on the eve of her surgery, starts to find out that perhaps the surgery changes more than just how you look, that perhaps it also changes things about the way you think. And this series is great for asking, I, I read this with a book club, um, actually a young, a young kids book club in when I was in Salt Lake City as a bookseller. And it was really great for discussing things like, you know, what do we believe? What are we taught to believe? How can we find out what's true? All of those questions um, in, in a sort of sci-fi dystopia setting, which is very useful for that, um, with kind of coming at it slant instead of <laughs> straight up. So that's Uglies by Scott Westerfeld. Okay. Um, sponsor two, I want to quickly mention, this isn't really a sponsor. I'm just using this slot to tell you guys that we're on Snapchat now. Whee! Um, so if you are on Snapchat you can go find us. We are at Book Riot, obviously. And Rachel Smelter uh, Hall, who's a, our associate editor, is running her Snapchat account. And she's doing such a great job. Uh, she, she snaps book recommendations, um, book mail. I also, have, like, once a week, we'll do a, you know, like, from the editor's desk uh, snap that's, uh, like, a quick look at what I'm reading now or what books I got in the mail that day that I think you guys would be interested in. Um, we also occasionally will snap, like, book, book swag that we've got, cool T-shirts and, you know, mugs and stuff like that that we found out and about, some from our store, most not. Um, publisher tote bags that we really like, that kind of thing. It's silly and fun as Snapchat is in general. So we are at Book Riot, obviously. I'm not even going to put a link in the show notes because it's just our name. <laughs> okay, question five. Um, let's see. Okay, this is from Kate. About a year ago, I lost a pregnancy. I was just at the beginning of my second trimester, and it was due to a very rare and serious birth defect. It was a really dark time, and when I look back at last winter, my reading was down to practically nothing. So here I am a year later, and I recently found out that I'm pregnant again. I've been assured by my doctors many times that the complications I experienced last time were a freak event. Still, the predominant emotion I'm experiencing is fear. I'm looking for book recs to keep me interested in reading while my mind is trying to wander to more stressful things. I'm not necessarily looking for anything light, but anything that will keep me turning the pages. I already have the new Mindy Kaling and the new Sarah McLean ready to go. I'm open to reading anything in any genre. So that's from Kate. Um, you want to go first? Yeah. Uh, You've got three, right? So you should. Yeah, yeah. 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 And the first one is not what... Kate is asking for, but I wanted to mention it because um, I have not experienced this personally, but I have dealt with miscarriages and uh, pregnancy terminations in my own family. Mm. And this book was really helpful to me. It's called An Exact Replica 
of A Figment of My Imagination by Elizabeth McCracken. And it is a memoir. Uh, she fell in love, got married, two years later is living in France, working on her novel, waiting for the birth of her child. Sounds kind of perfect. And then in the ninth month of pregnancy, her baby died. And then she's writing the book from now they have a child. So she's coming at it from the perspective of somebody who lost a child and now has a child and is trying to still deal with the emotions from that original pregnancy and loss. Uh, and it's really intense. Um, and, but I think it's also, if you going through this or something like it, it's incredibly therapeutic because kind of like what you were talking about earlier, Amanda, and that having somebody put into words mm -hmm. the feelings like, you know, other people go through this, but it's, it's not, you know, especially like pregnancy and miscarriage and abortion and termination. It's not something we talk about a lot. Yeah, um, it's a really silent kind of pain. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah. It's really rough. And there's a lot of misinformation out there about it, too. So it can be really hard, I think, to know who it's safe to talk to, who you might actually want to talk to about it. Um, so, like, also, Kate, thank you for sending this question to us. For real. Um, that can't have been easy. So this book, if you want a book that can that actually deals with some of this situation, itself, um, I highly recommend it. So that is an exact replica of A Figment of My Imagination by Elizabeth McCracken. <clears throat> okay. Um, first of all, I want to tell you that I have twins. And when I was pregnant with my twins, there was uh, moments where they did some testing and they thought that I had um, something called twin-to-twin -twin syndrome, where one was using up more of the resources my body was providing than the other. There was fear that one of them was going, that I was going to lose one of the boys. Anyway, it was really, so I, I know what that feeling is like that, like living in constant fear until your next ultrasound. I've been there and um, like, man, I feel your feels again. I just keep saying that. Um, but when I was going through all of that, all I wanted to read was like plot driven, nothing <laughs> like I wanted funny. I wanted no kids in the book at all. Um, I wanted like, page turners. So that's what I have recommended mostly here, things that will keep you in the book and take your mind off of whatever um, like things are trying to encroach in your brain. So my first pick is Warm Bodies by Isaac Marion, which is such a funny and ridiculous uh, book about a zombie. His name is R. He doesn't remember his actual name. He just remembers his first initial. Or he makes it up. I don't remember. Either way, it's told from the point of view of this zombie. He doesn't remember who he was before he was turned. Um, and he lives in his 747 in an abandoned airport. Um, so zombieism, I guess, is like spread across society. It's a little post-apocalyptic. Um, and the thing about zombies is that they're still a little present. Like they're not just these unconscious monsters wandering around killing people. I mean, they do kill people, but um, he is they kind of build functional society. So in this airport that he lives in with all of his, with these like fellow zombies, they have like a quote unquote church services and he like quote unquote gets married to another zombie. Um, meaning that like this woman zombie just kind of moves into his airport. And it's very strange and odd. And when they eat the brains of living people, their life comes back to color. Like they start to remember things and they start to remember what it's like to be alive. And that's why they go off and eat um, brains, not because they need it to survive, but because it's like kind of a drug. He has a best friend and their friendship consists of like sitting in the airport cafeteria and not talking. It's just hilarious. Um, and then he meets a girl. He's off on a raid with his zombie friends, like they're out hunting. And he meets a girl who he doesn't want to kill. He can't figure out why. He takes her captive to his um, airplane. Obviously, she's terrified of him and makes her like kind of his guest. And then he kind of 
wants to protect her and he doesn't understand why he doesn't want to eat her brains out and then he kind of falls in love sort of and starts to come back to life maybe a little bit it's really it's like the weirdest romance I ever did read in my life but it's so funny and it's such an interesting reimagining of the zombie story I mean we are you know saturated with zombie post-apocalyptic novels but I had never read one told from the point of view of the actual monster and it's really refreshing and cool and so page turnery loved a lot so that's Warm Bodies by Isaac Marion did you see the movie? I haven't. I, I was wondering if it was any good. I have no idea. Um, it looks funny. Like, yeah. how do you not make this really funny? There's right. so much, like, opportunity for, for physical humor. <laughs> <laughs> and people, like, falling down is my favorite. So, Oh, no. <laughs> people falling down is my favorite. <laughs> it's never not funny, people falling down. <laughs> All right, moving along. So my first, like, pick for what you asked for is The Inheritance Trilogy by N.K. Jemisin. Uh, I often recommend the fifth season, but I do not recommend that to you if you're feeling sensitive about children. Um, so this one instead is a book about the first one starts with Yanadar, who is sort of from the barbarian north, but her mother was from the capital city and was uh, could have been the heir to the whole throne. And uh, she has just, you know, as her daughter, she's just been kind of living this backwater life. And then her mother dies and she's summoned to the main capital sky. And the old king names her one of his three heirs, which is a, unexpected, and B, basically a death sentence because the two other heirs are brother and sister and have been living in the capital their entire lives and are vicious and ambitious and out to, you know, get what's theirs by hook or by crook. Um, <laughs> they're not good people. Let's just say it that way. And uh, and so and in addition to that, um, this society is built on the slave labor of actual deities. There was a god war years, centuries ago, and um, two gods lost, one died, and the other one was turned into a slave along with his, like, demigod. Um, says. In certain cases, they're siblings, and in other cases, they're children. It's weird. Um, <laughs> and so there are magical powers all over the place, and she has no idea. Uh, I mean, she's raised to be a warrior, so she's going to fight, but she kind of is at a loss. And um, it starts there, and as the series goes along, you find out more about her, you find out more about the war that happened between the deities, you find out a lot about the politics of this world. It's a gorgeous example of world building. It's sexy. It's very, um, there's love stories and also like, you know, revenge stories and, oh, it gets really, it gets all those good emotions in there, but in what felt, what feels to me like a safe way, like it's not touching on any of, you know, things, I don't think it's touching on anything that might be triggers for you. Uh, so that is the, as a whole, it's the Inheritance Trilogy uh, by N.K. Jemison. Okay, my second pick for you is Angel Maker by Nick Harkaway. It is a bizarre madcap romp through, like, underground London, and it is so great. Yes. And you will think about nothing but how awesome Edie is the entire time. Oh, yes. <laughs> so the main-ish main, main -ish character's name is Joe. He fixes antique clocks for a living. His father was a London, like, mobster, and he's kind of turned his back on that. Like, he doesn't want to deal with his family's mobster history anymore. He just wants to live a quiet life, fixing his clocks, and doing nothing. And then he gets a new client named Edie, who seems to be like a very nice, kindly, like 90-year-old lady. But it turns out she's actually a retired international secret agent spy lady, who is so awesome. And the clock she has brought to him to fix is a doomsday machine from the 50s. And he accidentally starts it. So like he like 
whatever, activates this weird clockwork mechanism that's going to release doomsday bees on the world. It's real strange. Um, so now he's facing like the wrath of the government and also this dictator who is uh, Edie's old arch nemesis, um, who's a really frightening, uh, whatever, like, James Bondian sort of style villain. And so Joe goes on the run, trying to save the world with Edie. He's running from like really insane monks and serial killers and various and sundry psychopaths and geniuses in order to save the world with this like 90 year old woman who is the most, I don't know, like kick butt character. I will go as her for Halloween if I can figure I, out a I way was to do it. her for Halloween one year. I did. Oh, what? Really? Yeah, <laughs> nobody knew who I was, but it was so much fun. I learned how to do old lady makeup um, from YouTube, and I made my own Bastion um, doll out of like a stuffed pug that I got in a, <laughs> in a, like, a kid's store. <laughs> I, it was so much fun. Nobody knew who I was, but it was awesome. awesome. But anyway, it's a, it's so good and weird. And you will spend the entire, like the whole time I spent reading this book, I was like, this is amazing. What is happening? Yeah. This is amazing. What is happening? Like Nick Harkaway, what is your brain? Um, so yeah, that's Angel Maker by Nick Harkaway. It's real bananas. <laughs> uh, okay. So real quick, my last pick for you is the Old Man's War series. I was trying to think of series to like give you stuff to plow through. So that is by John Scalzi. And the first book is called Old Man's War. And it's about a man named John Perry who turns 75 and joins the army because in this world, uh, the government has figured out a way to turn senior citizens into soldiers. Um, so instead of recruiting from 18 year olds who have no life experience and let's face it, like I can be really dumb and very hormonal and not the best decision makers. They've figured out that I like don't know whether to tell, I'm not going to say how, um, they figured out how to make senior citizens into super soldiers. And so now you have these like army corps or Navy or Marines or whatever, full of people who have lived entire lives and are now getting to live them again with the stipulation that they have to protect the world from aliens. Like you do. So <laughs> it's great. Um, it's John Scully has a great sense of humor. He's really good at characters. And the action is just nonstop. So they're real page turners. Uh, I've, I've read all of the books in the series. I love all of them. I recommend them 100%. So that is the Old Man's War series, which starts with a book called Old Man's War by John Scalzi. All right, that's our show. That is it, yes. Boy, we got in there. <laughs> we did. <laughs> so many feelings. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so if you like the show or don't, whatever, you can leave us a rating or review, please, on iTunes. It makes the show easier to find for other people. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL with two N's. And thank you very much to our sponsors, us, Booker Riot Live, which you can get more information about at RedRoosterWarBookRiotLive.com and Snapchat at BookRiot, of course, because logic. And y'all have a good week. Oh,